What's going on, family? What's going on? What's going down? What's shaking? Welcome to Jonathan Souls Podcast. <laughs> this is Jonathan Souls speaking with you now. All right, family, I got the honor and privilege of talking to an excellent creative, somebody who writes those romantic fantasy novels that just gives you the chili bumps. I'm talking about Leslie Penelope. How you doing, Leslie? Good. How are you doing? I'm doing right. Just doing right. Now, when I think of uh, like fantasy, right? Me, I'm thinking of Conan the Barbarian. I'm thinking, <laughs> you know, what I mean, I'm thinking the star. Like, but you're coming from a different vibration. Can you talk right. about that? Yeah, yeah. Well, I, I loved all kinds of fantasy growing up. Mm-hmm. Um, I loved, you know, Princess Bride, things like that. But I also loved uh, Princess. Did you say things- Princess Bride? I did. Yeah. Oh, isn't that cute? <laughs> <laughs> okay, go ahead. Go ahead. And, and I guess, I don't know about Conan, but, uh, you know, Lord of the Rings, kind of re- traditional fantasy when you're thinking about that, never-ending story, stuff that kids love. Right. And that kind of, you know, brought me into more adult fantasy. But mm-hmm. I also love things like Twilight Zone and The Outer Limits. Solid, and right so on. anything that was just, you know, a little left of center, something that had magic in it, or um, and especially things looking at our world in a different perspective, mm-hmm. you know, looking at uh, the the world that we live in and, and how things could change um, and how one, you know, one change or one small change or one big change can affect humanity. Mm-hmm. So, you know, they, you know, speculative fiction is the umbrella over which um, sci-fi and fantasy come under mm-hmm. and all kinds of speculative fiction have always been really interesting to me. Mm-hmm. And um, so for as long as I've been writing, I think I've been, I've been kind of writing those kind of stories. So, uh, I've been interested in in not only things with magic and magical creatures, but also things that are a little bit more down to earth, and mm-hmm. how you know all of these imaginative things have real life kind of repercussions or real life parallels. Mm-hmm. I guess you could say. So when I look at your uh, your catalog here, the titles are very interesting: uh, "Song of Blood and Stone," "Whispers of Shadow and Flame," uh, mm-hmm. "Angel Born," "Angel Fall." Right. That that sounds very uh I don't know, like Twilight slash Lord of the Ringsy. Can you can you talk about that a little bit? What's what's the root? Like what environment, what kind of world are you building? So I have two different series. Um a fantasy series, the Earthsinger Chronicles, which is Song of Blood and Stone and Whispers of Shadow and Flame. And that series, uh, it's historical fantasy. So, like you know, a lot of people do think of medieval fantasy, but I'm I'm coming at it from a, a more of a 1920s, like an alternate 1920s world, is what I've built there, because mm-hmm. that was just a little bit more interesting to me. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I, You're I wanted talking to, about like uh, was it Fitzgerald, um, Great Gatsby type vibration, or, or no? Yeah, yeah, actually, kind of like that Art Deco. You know, I mean, we're not. It, it goes different places and different books in the series. So the mm-hmm. first book, you know, they're in a world where there's not that much technology. I mean, they have cars, they have telephones, mm-hmm. uh, radios, things like that. Mm-hmm. Uh, but we're kind of in more a rural, rural area. Okay. And as the series progresses, I think you'll see different aspects of the world. But yeah, around that time. And so um, it, it's it's a little something different. I mean, you know, fantasy can happen in, in so many different time periods. But a lot of, a lot of times you're seeing the kind of u- medieval Europe mm-hmm. um, setting. And that just wasn't really that interesting to me. So I, I wanted to switch it up and play with a different time period and different, um, you know, kind of different influences on on the setting. Mm-hmm. So how often does the idea of magic pop up in your novels? 
magic is always there. Um, my other series is more contemporary paranormal. So it's, you know, urban, um, you know, present day, the angel series. Mm-hmm. But um, in both series, no matter what time period I'm in and whether no matter what kind of elements, speculative elements, whether it's pure magic, you know, or it's more, um, you know, the angels, are, it's kind of a different take on angels mm-hmm. and their powers. But I, I, I always like to play around with, you know, what, what would you do if you had powers? What would you do if you, um, you know, lived in a world where, where magic was real and, and there's different forces at play? Mm-hmm. Um, and how, how does that affect people, you know? Gotcha. I have a question for you. Something that when I was preparing for this interview, this question kept coming up or this thought kept coming up in my mind. What is Leslie trying to fix? Mm. With your writing, with your mm-hmm. world building, what are, what are you trying to fix? What are you trying to, 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 to make? I don't know if I'm, I would say fix anything. I, I do know that I always come back to the theme of identity mm-hmm. and the theme of trying to find a place to belong in my work. Um, and I think that is just something that's always been, you know, something I personally have dealt with, mm-hmm. you know, uh, being black, growing up in mostly white schools and mostly white areas and going through that whole experience. And then from there going to a historically black college, you know, having these different periods of time in my life where identity has just been a big focus. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, so I think you must, I, so you must love the boondocks cartoon. Oh yeah, definitely. <laughs> <laughs> definitely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, they they definitely uh, dealt with the whole identity crisis. You you sound um, my little ones. They 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 grew up when they were young in the city, mm-hmm. right? They were young in the city, and it's funny because all of my friends, you know, back then I was you know into the still in the way, but more refined. You know, we we celebrated Kwanzaa. You understand? Okay. I'm going. You yeah. know, I'm going to different lectures, whatever museums, whatever marches, whatever. And then mm-hmm. we come back down south to visit my mom, who's very fair skinned. Mm-hmm. And it didn't occur to me that my children never met any light-skinned black people before. <laughs> and so they thought, wow, grandma and auntie are white. <laughs> they, they didn't know, you know what I mean? Wow. So, yeah. so you know, I mean, to, to, just in the idea of identity, I think, is very important. Uh, very yeah. important. And so and your this, angels, okay. are they struggling with that? Is Is that the deal? Well, you know, the first book is uh, the character. She's not an angel. She actually falls in love with a half angel, mm-hmm. which is angel born. But she is somebody who uh, she's able to see ghosts. So she has this ability to see the dead wow. and that and she can't uh, distinguish dead from living. Wow. So she, you know, always she's actually people think she's crazy. Mm-hmm. And um, and so she's had other things going on in her life, too. But mm-hmm. so the, the force of these, these powers in her life, have, you know, have made her life very difficult. And so she's withdrawn um, from the world. And, and so, you know, that for me, you know, her identity as a character and, and her arc in the story is it comes back to that, comes back to her, you know, who she is. How can she find a place in this world when she has this ability she can't control? You know, you know, it's funny when you talk about um, identity and, and the whole idea of crazy. My definition of crazy has changed since I was small. Mm-hmm. I had this uh, great grandma. Right. She. They say, you know, they told us it was Indians or whatever, and I never believed them until we <laughs> passed and two people came off from the reservation, just sat in the living room, didn't say nothing. Sat there for an hour and got uh-huh. up and rolled out. But, but great-grandma, she would talk to the spirits. Oh, okay. And I was yeah. five, six, seven years old. I, I couldn't see him. I didn't think nothing of it. You know what right. I mean? Now I might have thought that was crazy. But So when you talked about she could see and she couldn't distinguish 
Mm-hmm. I mean, that's a, that's a different kind of sanity, I think. Yeah, and, and that's always int- intriguing me. Like I always thought about um, what if people we we deem insane are really just seeing something that we can't see. Right. You know. You know. What if they are hearing voices that we can't hear? You know. Just playing around with ideas like that, and what would, you know, how could they cope um, if if that was actually reality? You know. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. They say that women can see more colors in the spectrum than men can. Uh, mm-hmm. I'm sure the other things that women can't see, maybe that's why we think they're crazy sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the gender divide could have other causes. <laughs> right, right, right. So I want to get into, uh, well, first, before we get into that, I want to transition into your process. But mm-hmm. ladies and gentlemen, if you'd be kind enough to open up a browser, and then if you could go to, uh, any browser, it doesn't matter. And then if you go to Penelope's site, uh, you can see all of her books listed. If you go to lpenelope.com, L-P-E-N-E-L-O-P-E.com, not only can you find like, uh, you know, like video interviews and audio interviews that she's done, you can find her catalog. Of course, you can go to uh, Amazon, just type in L period Penelope, and then all of her stuff comes up. Um, I wanted to transition a little bit into your process. Mm-hmm. Um, years ago, there was this magazine called How. And uh, it was a magazine for graphic designers, and it showed, like, the process of, you know, how people laid out, you know, say, magazine covers. And by the way, okay. your book covers are awesome. Thank you. They are awesome. So let's talk a little bit about the how. First, how did you publish your first novel? Tell me that process. What was that like? Sure. Yeah, I I um, I'd been studying independent publishing for a couple of years while I was actually writing the book. You know, because the first step is to figure out, are you going to send it out? Are you trying to get an agent or are you going to do it yourself? Mm-hmm. And I decided to do it myself. I had done a lot of other DIY projects. You know, I'd been involved in independent film. And so I was really comfortable taking that on and wanting to be in control of it. Mm-hmm. Um, and so the actual, you know, getting the book ready, you know, there's two steps to it. There's the art part of getting an actual novel completed, written and completed, which is totally separate from the business part of actually getting it published and put into the world, you know? Mm-hmm. And, um, and I'd been studying writing my whole life, basically. I'd, you know, been in all kinds of writing workshops as a, as a kid, mm-hmm. and then as an adult, you know, also now, going Now, as a kid, did your parents put you in there? Is that something you requested, or they just saw a talent in you? How did that work? I'm, I'm, they were always really supportive. I started writing when I was five years old. I wrote my first stories. And so that was something that they saw and they were like, they wanted to encourage. Mm -hmm. So, you know, I had to do something during the summers. Um, I wasn't into sports necessarily, but they put me in these writers workshops, Mm -hmm. um, at the local community college. And so I did that every summer and I was, you know, just, that was kind of my thing. Like I was always a writer. (laughs) How important do you think your parents support was in those early days? Oh, hugely important. Mm-hmm. Really, really. I can't even stress that enough. I mean, they, you know, even when I was writing stuff and they were kind of scratching their heads and like, what is this? You know, it's kind of weird stuff, mm-hmm. but they were still really supportive and, um, you know, encouraged me. They encouraged, you know, if I wanted to major in college, um, they would have supported me. I ended up actually majoring in film production, which they supported as well, you know? Wow. So okay. my parents were both frustrated artists. So, you know, both okay. my brother and I, they both supported our artistic efforts. Totally. That's beautiful. That's beautiful. Um, so you talked about the art part of the book, uh, mm-hmm. putting the novel together and the business part. Talk about the art part a little bit. Sure. So for this, my first book, uh, song of blood and stone, 
I, you know, I'd written a lot of short stories, but I didn't know how to write a novel. Mm -hmm. And so I, I took, you know, once I had this idea, um, it's, you know, having an idea is different than knowing actually how to make it into a successful novel. Sure. And I, you know, I'd been to workshops, I'd been away, I'd gone to, to different places, but you know, you're in, in, a, in a writer's workshop, you're looking at a small piece, you're looking at 15, 30 pages, maybe. So I spent a lot of time kind of studying plot and character. And um, it was actually after one of those workshops I went to called Vona, which is a, a, a writer's workshop for uh, writers of color. Mm-hmm. And I had the opportunity to study with Juno Diaz, who is just amazing. He's an amazing teacher and an amazing author. Mm-hmm. And I came back from that experience really inspired. And about a week after I came back, it was a week-long workshop, I, I started writing. I had a dream. And then the next day I started writing. That first day I wrote 10,000 words. Wow. The next day I wrote 11,000 words. And, you know, that was the most I'd ever written. And that was the, ended up being the first draft of Song of Blood and Stone. Wow. which turned into an 80,000 word novel. But, um, so I had this core idea, mm-hmm. which had just kind of come out of me, you know, just kind of channeled. And then it was a matter of making that into more of a cohesive story, which is a process of, of just kind of self-questioning mm-hmm. a lot of times, I think. You know, it's like, what kind of story is this? What are the characters telling you? Mm-hmm. And, um, and it's in, in the world building. And so it ended up taking me about 13 months to write that book mm-hmm. from, from that first day to the, to the end of the line. Now, um, when you write, when you write, do you just write and get it all out? Or do you write, edit a little bit, write, edit a little bit? Like, how does your process work? Yeah, I found that for me, um, I embrace a strategy called fast drafting, mm-hmm. which is where for the first draft, you just write and get it all out. And I actually even, I have this little old school word processor called the Alpha Smart Neo, mm-hmm. which is, um, it's basically a keyboard with a tiny little screen that you see four lines of text. Wow. So you can't, you can't edit yourself. You just write. You can mm-hmm. only see four lines at a time. And, um, and that really helps me focus. So when I'm doing a first draft, I just pull out that little machine. Mm-hmm. I, you know, I get however, however long I have each day, I try to write a couple of hours each day mm-hmm. and I don't even look at what I've written before. You know, I try to just write every day. So it's fresh in my mind mm-hmm. until I get that first draft out. Wow. And then I go back because if I edit while I'm doing the first draft, you know, I've, I've tried that before and it just was never successful because I'm all, you're second guessing yourself. Mm-hmm. And I, I think I think that the the editing part of your brain is different than the the, the writing part of your brain. And you true. can't you can't exist in both spaces at the same time. Mm-hmm. So I give myself the space to just, you know, get that first draft out as terrible as it may be. Mm-hmm. And, it, and it's not really coherent. No one else could ever read it. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's out. And then I can go back and look at it as a whole, reread it and start editing. And then the editing and revision process is much, is much longer. When do you know that your edited copy is ready for like a professional editor? When, mm-hmm. when, when do you know? I rely on beta readers. So I get the draft as, as complete as I can, mm-hmm. but I know that I have blind spots. I'm so close to it. I mean, there's things that make perfect sense to me that someone else is like, what? You didn't, you didn't tell me that, you know? Mm-hmm. So I have uh, critique partners that I use to read the whole draft, read the whole book as a whole and give me feedback on it. Mm-hmm. And, um, other beta readers. So people I've met in writing groups, there are also professional beta readers that you can hire who can do it and give you a really fast turnaround time. Mm-hmm. And so I kind of, for different projects, I, I'll utilize a combination of those people who I trust and who are interested in the genre 
and who I know will give me good, honest feedback. And um, so when I get it back from them, I do another pass. And at that point, I feel like it's ready for a professional editor to take a look at it. Wow. Okay. All right. So these beta readers, they aren't like Uncle George and Cousin Lulu. These are just people who do this regularly. They're either other writers, you know, Mm -hmm. who will exchange, you know, copies and I'll read for them also. Um, But I've also found success in um, people who are either bloggers or or voracious readers who, um, you know, enjoy uh, reading and giving feedback in terms of reviewing books. And so some of them will have like side businesses as beta readers. Mm-hmm. And I think it's worth it to, you know, it's usually inexpensive because mm-hmm. they're not professional editors, but mm-hmm. you pay them for their time and, you know, to read your manuscript and, and give you the feedback. And I think it's it's valuable for me to have that because, you know, I do have a lot of writing, writing partners, but um, a lot of times, especially with indie publishing, I'm looking for a fast turnaround. Mm-hmm. And so um, if I pay a beta reader, then usually they'll get it back faster. If I have more time, then I'll just rely completely on like writing friends and critique partners, too. Gotcha, gotcha, gotcha. So we're staying on the how topic here. Um, mm-hmm. You mentioned the uh, old school word processor. What other equipment do you use in your writing process? Hardware, software, what other equipment do you use? Um, so... Software-wise, I use a program called Scrivener for actually putting together my books. Once I started writing novels, Microsoft Word was just, it was too cumbersome when we have lots of chapters. Mm -hmm. And um, Scrivener is an amazing program because you have one document, but you can have separate chapters, you can have separate scenes, and you can, so they're almost like separate files, but you can look at them all together Mm -hmm. um, in little, in tabs. And it's got a lot of other features, which are just amazing. Don't people use that to create their eBooks too? They do. You can. Okay. Yeah, I don't, but um, it does have that feature, and so I just I, I bring it in from the Alpha Smart into Scrivener, and then I work in it um, in Scrivener from there on. Mm-hmm. For eBooks, I'm on a Mac, and I use a program called Vellum, which creates really beautiful eBooks, and it's really really simple to use. Um, because I have a background in website development, mm-hmm. at first I was making eBooks kind of by hand, because um, eBooks are basically just HTML files. Yeah, but. Um, it just, it was time consuming. So even though I have the skills to do it, it mm-hmm. just, it's not, you know, I don't think it's a good use of my time. So, so you just drop the text from Scrivener into Vellum and then it pa- it paginates everything and the whole bit. Yeah. Yeah. If you, you can, Vellum takes uh, Microsoft word documents. So I actually export from Scrivener to word and then import into Vellum and it, it separates your chapters out, your scenes. You can put a basically a template on it for the style of the chapter headings and things like that mm-hmm. and export all the files you need for eBooks. Mm-hmm. Um, and I heard they're actually going to get into print uh, exporting too, which will be great. Wow. Do you enjoy this process, the process of laying books out or is it just a means to an end? I actually do enjoy it. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I got into indie publishing cause I am a little bit of a control freak and I like to have my fingers in, in everything. Uh-huh. So I, I laid out my own print books um, and you know, eBooks, um, I don't design my covers, but I, I spent a long time looking at hundreds of designers before I chose the designers mm-hmm. uh, for my covers. And so, yeah, every part of the process is really interesting to me and I, I really do enjoy it all. Where did you find the designers? Did you go to a place like Fiverr or someplace? Like where did you find the designer, book cover designer? No. Um, so each of my series has a different designer and they're both really great. But um, I, I'm a member of several different author communities online, um, either Facebook groups or Yahoo groups, things like that. So um, I would see people recommending their cover designers. 
And I would also make a, a list of when I was just kind of browsing through Amazon, if um, a lot of times people will credit their designers in their, uh, on the copyright page. So if I saw a book that had an amazing design, I would look and see if I could figure out who designed it mm-hmm. and made this master list. And so I had just you know, collected a list of artists and I would look at their portfolios. And um, you know, there's, there's also a site called uh, thebookdesigner.com mm-hmm. and he has monthly design awards for indie books. And so it was really important to me to get, you know, the best designer I could. So I wanted a designer who had, who had won at least one of these, you know, monthly contests. Mm-hmm. So I had a set of criteria. Okay. And, um, you know, for each book, I wanted someone who had something in the genre. Right. You know, um, just different, different things I was looking for. And, and when I picked the designers, I had that in mind. How do you manage your time? You, you mentioned that you, uh, you try to write a couple hours each day so it's fresh. Is there like a particular place in the house? Is there a certain time? Do you have to have tea with you? How does that work? <laughs> yeah. So I, I found it's, it's best to do it first. To do, Otherwise, you know, it's easy to put off. Mm-hmm. So I do try to write in the morning. I work from home, so I try not to write in my home office. I actually write on the couch in the family room Okay. most of the time. And I do have tea. I, I'm a big tea drinker, so I usually have a mug of green tea with me. It's kind uh-huh. of a little ritual. Okay. And, yeah, then I sit on the couch and, and get my writing in. Yeah, I think rituals are very important. It kind of mm-hmm. kind of puts you in a zone, I guess. Yeah, kind of. Yeah, it gets you that mindset. Yeah. Like this is my time. I have I have certain mugs, so I have a couple of mugs that are like creative writing mugs, and they have different messages on them. So I always use one of those mugs too. <laughs> Who are your influencers in terms of authors or movies, for that matter? Um, authors. I mean, Octavia Butler was a huge influence when I discovered her work it kind of just opened a lot of doors for me because I'd already loved Mm sci-fi and fantasy. And, you know, I got into this period of trying to read all the black sci-fi fantasy I could. Uh So her, Tanana Reef Du, um, I was reading N.K. Jemisin when she came out. Um, So Stephen Barnes, you know, I went to this event called uh, Black to the Future, which was probably 10, 15 years ago in Seattle. And I got to meet a lot of these authors of black sci-fi, you know, people who I was reading. And it was just amazing. Um, you know, it's a lot of sci-fi coming out of Africa. There is. Yeah. It's blowing up. I think kind of in the past few years, there's more and more, which is great. Yeah. 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 And the thing that's so groovy about it is that they're not copying the West. Mm-hmm. It's not like a black, you know, Star Trek. It's, it's straight up you know, an African kind of vibration, an African take on, you know, how societies, technology, the whole bit is very refreshing. It is. Yeah. And I think each culture, if you're reading, you know, Asian sci-fi or something, they're bringing something from that's natural to their culture into it. Mm-hmm. And I love that. You know, I think that's really interesting. Yeah. I kind of compare it to hip hop. It's like, mm-hmm. you know, when, when you, when I listen to Japanese hip hop, for example, I like Japanese hip hop. You got two kinds. One's that's what I would consider me being a foreigner, authentic Japanese, because it's not boom, bap. It's mellow. Mm-hmm. It's chill. It's kind of mm-hmm. to be corny about it. Zen. You know what I mean? It's like they cooked it their own way kind of thing. Right. And then you got the people who try to copy who sound just like DMX or Will Smith or <laughs> Hello Cool J. You know what I mean? It's like, really, dude? Yeah. You're not going to push yeah. the genre forward. So when I see these, like uh, this one sister... Uh, her book will come to me as soon as I uh, hang up with you. But yeah, so this one sister, I mean, it was this thing with this, 
you know, it's mud stuff in her hair and the mathematics. And then it was, it was just crazy. It was just <laughs> a beautiful kind of a thing. So, right. um, so what inspires you in terms of movies? Are there any sci-fi fantasy movies that inspire you? Any ones coming out that you're excited to see? I don't know about inspiration for movies. I mean, I think generally there probably is. I can't, um, I mean, some of my favorite movies probably aren't even sci-fi, but like something like in, you know, in TV, like I loved the new Battlestar Galactica when it came out. Really? I loved, yeah, I really did. I mean, until the end, but uh, <laughs> yeah, no, I really liked that. I, I think the, the stuff that's just so real, that's like, so about humanity uh-huh. and, and the way that we treat each other, mm-hmm. you know, kind of really sticks out at me. Mm. Yeah. Um, with the, with the, my daughter introduced me to Nollywood. Mm-hmm. And before it got westernized, I think now it's getting really westernized, but it was a big re- uh, emphasis on the relationships between people. It wasn't a lot of bangs at pow and all that kind of, it was just how people, you know, kind yeah. of navigated those kind of things. So you, you enjoy that part in a, right. in a sci-fi futuristic setting. Yeah, definitely. I like that. I mean, I think it's just, I'm just more drawn to those stories than, you know, the action is great too, but. Um. <laughs> All right. So we're going, we're going to wrap this up. I really appreciate your time and family. I want you guys to remember, go to lpenelope.com and check out uh, uh, Leslie's uh, work. She has uh, a tremendous amount of, um, uh, I guess, energy stored up in her novels. And there seems to be two themes, the Angel series and then the Earth Earth Song, right? Earth Singer Chronicles, right? Yeah. right exactly, yeah. So you got to tell me about, you know what I mean, Game of Thrones. I mean, do you have any kind of, come on now, you got any kind of feelings on that or, or what? I don't know why I feel like I got to ask you this question, but the spirit compels yeah. me to ask you about Game of Thrones. I am still watching. I know a lot of people stopped. Uh, I'm with it. I, do, I haven't read the books. Um, mm-hmm. I do like the show. Okay. And, I, and because I like the show is why I don't read the books. I, I'm, I've heard they're fabulous, but mm-hmm. it's also bleak, you know. And, yeah. and I do. I write romance in addition. You know, my fantasies and paranormals are, are all romances. So I like happy endings. And I like, mm-hmm. you know, things that are, are not so bleak. But They have know, happy endings in, uh, in Game of Thrones, but people die anyway. <laughs> if that's happiness to you, then... <laughs> Maybe that's happiness to George R. R. Martin. I, I, I really don't know. When but I I'm first saw it, I thought it was a badly written Lord of the Rings. The really? The TV show. The TV show. Yeah. I mean, I mean, I admire that, you know, the fact that he's willing to kill anyone. But at a certain point in time, you know, you're kind of like, well, why am I here? What right, is this exactly. actually about if anybody and everybody will die? That's um, crazy. Can you see your yeah. work becoming like a movie series, web series, something like that in the future? Yeah, I mean, I think that would be amazing. I think because I have a background in film, I, tr- I do try to, I mean, I see everything in my head as I'm writing it. Mm-hmm. And I, I do try to write it sort of, you know, as a movie that's playing in my head. Cool. So, yeah, I would love to see it become something on screen. Encouraging words to those fledgling writers who have a novel in their head, they type in on the train on the iPhone. What mm-hmm. would you tell them? What, how would you encourage them to get started? I think some of the most encouraging words that were said to me was that the world needs your story. I mean, there's, there are so many books out there now, but the wonderful thing about, especially independent publishing is that we all have the opportunity to share our story with the world. And I, and I do believe that the world needs our stories, especially, you know, people of color and marginalized people, you know, seeing stories that haven't 
been told in a wide in a widespread way. Mm-hmm. You know, we have the same opportunities to get in front of people as everyone else does. Mm-hmm. So, you know, keep at it. It's hard. You know, this is a hard road, mm-hmm. but it's if you love it, if it's in your heart, if it's in your spirit to do it, mm-hmm. then something is telling you that this story needs to be in the world. And so I would just encourage you to keep at it. You know, if you have to get up a little earlier, stay up a little later, that's mm-hmm. what we all do. Mm-hmm. But uh, get your story out into the world. Speaking of getting your story out, I look at my Kindle. I got the Song of Blood and Stone. I don't got the other ones. Uh, is all these uh, novels are still going to be available in the Kindle store? Uh, you, you mentioned something about hybrid publishing. Uh, off, off right. Track. So actually, at the end of this year, so at the end of 2016, I'm pulling off the market uh, my first two books, mm-hmm. The Earthinger Chronicles, so Song of Blood and Stone and Whispers of Shadow and Flame, because I was approached by St. Martin's Press, mm-hmm. um, one of the New York publishers, and they are going to be republishing my series. Wow. So, Congratulations. Congratulations. Thank you. Yeah. So at the end of December 2016, they I'm have to pull them off, but they will be... They will be available again uh, starting 2018, winter 2018. So it'll be a, little, a minute, um, but I'm hoping to reach a wider audience. They're going to be re- released in hardcover um, mm-hmm. in bookstores. Wow. And, yeah. That's cool. Wonderful. Uh, Leslie Penelope, thank you very much for sharing your time with us. Oh, thanks so much for having me. Yo, family, what's going on with you? I hope y'all dug that interview. This is Jonathan Soulspeak with you now. I want you to support my brothers and sisters by following them on social media and going to their website and picking up their product so we can stop focusing so much on issues and start focusing on building industry. For more episodes, go to JonathanSoul.com, J-O-H-N-A-T-H-A-N-S-O-U-L.com. And of course, I'm on social media. I'm on uh, it's Jonathan Soul at Twitter, Instagram, uh, Tumblr, uh, subscribe on iTunes, subscribe on uh, SoundCloud, and um, I'm over at uh, Black Spot as well, that terrific Facebook competitor. Listen, family, I love you guys, and I want all your dreams to come true. And my dreams can't come true without you, and yours can't come true without me. So let's support each other, and let's build this thing together. I love you guys. Peace and love to you and your family. Till next time.